As Mormon is abridging the plates, he's writing from his own experience of watching the failure of his society and the slow genocide of the Nephites. At the same time, he's looking back at people like uh, Samuel the Lamanite and Nephi, and he's seeing their experience through his own eyes. He was called to be uh, quick to observe, and he observes, but he in, observes with a bias, and that is the, the degradation of humanity that he watches around him as the Nephites are destroyed. Colors, I think, at times how he sees and how he writes the history of the Nephites. Join us today as we talk about affliction and how prophets saw affliction in their day. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. And dive in. Uh, welcome uh, to uh, class. Uh, hopefully our uh, video presentation is going to work well and we have our uh, professional videographer that's going to help record this for us. Okay. All right. So, so by way of uh, getting started, I did want to uh, wish you all a happy uh, Thanksgiving. Um. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, that's a lot of rice. Uh, maybe, th maybe Thanksgiving somewhere in, in Asia, but sometimes if I feel like if I've got cobbler or I've got the turkey as like I'm going to run and hide with this thing but I love I love the look on and look on his mom's face is good too so that, that looks like an AI I kind of think it is yeah but uh, pretty good all right well that said um, I want to talk about pain for a minute uh, and so so we're going to start with like pain 101 uh, and, and see what you think about this. Because uh, so, one of the things I've realized uh, in my uh, 60 some odd years of life is mortals, we seek to do things that maximize enjoyment and reduce pain. Generally. Okay? Now, for this reason, we tend to avoid situations that bring pain, anxiety, and discomfort. Yeah, right? Uh, and, and so when I'm working with somebody with anxiety or panic or something, we always know that uh, avoidance will be the number one coping skill about how we handle situations or people or topics or something. Uh, it's always going to be uh, avoidance is all, seems to be the best because avoidance actually is pretty reinforcing because it tells me that if I didn't do it, 
then it didn't happen, so I avoided the pain. So even though it never happened and I never did it, my brain says, you might have done it and it might have hurt, so it worked. I got reinforcement for something I didn't do. And I'm more likely to repeat that because it worked. <laughs> okay? All right. Now, when we do get hurt, though, when we do experience pain and adversity, dang it, we want to know why. Because uh, knowing why helps us avoid better avoid the pain the next time. How come I did that? As we were talking about last time, don't we have a tendency to ask teenagers doing stupid things or why did you do that? And say, we're, we're trying to understand why it is and they're not really able to give us the real answer. You know, I'm have, it's due to my age and my hormonal level and uh, the, you know, the 10 Twinkies I just ate. <laughs> so my blood sugars were a little high and out of whack and a friend encouraged me to do it. Um, but we do want to know why. And so we're always asking when pain hits, why? Because we want to be able to figure the whole thing out. Now, a noble why, see it was God's will or it was for the greater good is far better than a bad why. What do you mean by better? Um, you had more than two kids. You remember, well, you know, labor and the first couple of months of their life and how miserable that was at a lot of times. And then you did it again. <laughs> Not only did you go through it and experience it, but you repeated the same thing. Anybody that had more than one child went through the pain and discomfort and everything and then repeated it. So the greater good was, I'm raising children, so I'm willing to go through labor. Uh, and so sometimes if we can paint a greater good on to that, because we call that, we tend to call that sacrifice. There's a great, I'm going to subject myself to something painful, but it's, if it's sacrifice, now it has, it has a better name to it even though I'm deliberately choosing to do something that will be painful. Does that make sense? Okay. Are we still kind of duh? Yeah, duh things, right? Now, that's much better than I did this thing and I, it was really stupid. <laughs> and I'm not planning to do this thing again because the, uh, there's no greater purpose that was just the fact that it was stupid. Now, I don't know if that's helpful, though, if we go through pain because of somebody else's stupid. Is that helpful? Somebody else, you, you know, somebody, somebody rams into your car and causes you pain and costs and stuff like that. And the real reason was is that they were drinking. You go, well, they were exercising their free agency. Is that helpful to know why? <laughs> We just know why now, right? Uh, and sometimes that, maybe that doesn't help. Shifts the blame to somebody else from you. At least I wasn't the stupid one that did it. <laughs> you know, you're right. That that does help. But right, unless we were the ones that did it, and then it's like I can't blame anybody else. I chose to deliberately have another child, and I can't blame anybody else on that. Okay. No, we've got one child that we're trying to figure out. We're not sure where that child came from. I think it was immaculate perception. Um, okay, so 
If we frame our pain or discomfort as a sacrifice, then it is more tolerable. Because I'm going through sacrifice, it was it wasn't a pain and it wasn't it was it was a sacrifice. Now it has again a more noble cause. So we tend to want to go through the painful things that we've done and see it as sacrifice. Now, most of the time, however, our default thinking place is, where we start from is, dang it, good things should happen to good people. Bad things should happen to bad people. That's logical. Bad things just should happen. You know, and so when good things uh, are happening to bad people, that shakes up our view of how things should be. There, somebody should write the book, How Things Really Should Be. <laughs> okay? Because it's just, dang it, it's just fair. Um, now, that it finally gets us to the Job Doctrine. <laughs> My obedience should shelter, should protect me from bad things happening to me. Right? So that's not Job's doctrine. That's Job's buddy's doctrine. <laughs> well, Job buys into it. If you get about halfway through it, you'll see Job yelling at God and going, dang it, I was good. I, what, what the heck? What the what? But his buddies were really invested in that as well because if it can happen to you, it can happen to me. So I want our obedience to shelter us from anything bad happening from God. And Job, you're freaking us out. <laughs> so uh, most of the time we don't know when we make a decision whether it's God will or whether we're just being stupid. And it's only with hindsight that we know that we were stupid. Off times. And, uh, so... <laughs> Uh, we thought it was a good idea at the time. Right. <laughs> and so uh, I think our natural man wants to shift that responsibility from being stupid to being God's will. Yes. And the advantage of that is... You don't feel guilty. No. <laughs> number one. <laughs> and number two, if it really was God's will... Then, then you really are kind of carrying out God's work, which really says something about you. Yeah, but you don't really know for sure that it was God's will. You might have just been stupid. Yes, but but if I'm going to have to choose, if I have two options, and I'm going to choose between, I was really stupid, and this was God's will, and I'm now I'm something special. Yeah. I will take the special over the being stupid. Every time. Every time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know someone who uses this to the extreme. To justify behavior? Everything I do is what God is telling me to do. I did nothing wrong. Yes. And if anything bad happens, it is because, you know, it was a test or something to show how wonderful I am and I'm God's servant, prophet, whatever. As long as I'm on God's errand and something bad happens, either I was justified in it or it was your fault for not seeing me in that. Right, and if you don't accept me and my decisions, yes. then you are not following God. Yes. 
See, the, and that, that is the line that we were, I think we were talking about last time. The, the, there's a line between I felt peace, I, I prayed, I went to the temple, I felt peace, and then I'm going to determine in my mind what that peace meant. You know, I, I really did have an interaction with a, with a sweet young man this year that, that did kind of the very typical Mormon thing. He went to the temple and he knew that a sister missionary was supposed to marry him. <laughs> knew that. So then, of course, he contacts her to say that he has received a revelation in the temple. <laughs> that she should be marrying him and he was really quite discouraged when she was going against God's will <laughs> because A, she hadn't got the same <laughs> revelation <laughs> you know and, but we believe in personal revelation and that's why he and I had to spend a goodly amount of time separating out from yes you did feel peace in the temple but there was a point at which you were going to have to make an assumption about what that peace was leading to because my suspicion is, generally, guys, when I want an answer to prayer and God is going to tell me to do exactly the thing that I exactly wanted to do, I should be a little suspicious. Because <laughs> if I'm going to pray and feel peace and then I'm going to interpret that peace as give me what I wanted originally, then I might be really disappointed down the line uh, but I'm going to believe that I, I was supposed to have this thing. Okay? Worked with any number of people in a marriage that had a revelation that they were supposed to marry the other person. They did it. It didn't turn out well. And then what are they supposed to do with the fact that God told them to marry that person and it didn't work out well? Without saying, there is this separation moment between here's what I felt and here's my interpretation of what that felt means. Generally, when I get, I don't know about you guys, but when I get an answer to prayer, I feel the Spirit, and the Spirit tells me to do something, it usually tells me to do something I don't want to do. <laughs> it usually is going to have me do something that's going to make me uncomfortable or stretch me beyond what I really didn't want to do that, but I'm being let, I got to do this. And that's when it's more likely to me to be true. Yeah. Yeah, so, so he prayed, and very reasonably may have been inspired that she is the kind of person who should marry. And, and that he was kind of attracted to her and she's a good person. Right. And, and it would be reasonable on God's part for you if you were able to marry her. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, even if she got the same answer and, and they got married... God never told them that they weren't going to have any challenges yeah. after they got married. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the other thing that we're looking for. Uh, it, it, it's, the Le it's the Lehi conundrum, isn't it? In, in, in uh, chapter 8, 1 Nephi, where he goes, I'm in, a, I'm, in a wilderness. I'm in a wilderness and I pray for deliverance and the angel comes and he says, follow me. So then I follow him and he goes, right where? And to a waste. I went from wilderness to a waste following the white guy. Because <laughs> you're right. Part of that assumption would be, and, and it's that hope. I think it has something to do with this, that if the hope is that I'm following the Spirit, then it should be challenge-free when I'm following it because it was God's path. Okay? So, 
Yes, sir. We just thought you mentioned that oh, with that black guy, you, you go from wilderness waste, but uh, I think the Lord had a real good plan in place there that he wanted to test the guy. Yeah. See how he would react. While he's in the waste. And the whole thing ended when Lehi turned to the Lord in prayer. Yeah. He does. He prays. And then here's the amazing part about that side note. He prays, and then the darkness goes away, and the tree's right there. <laughs> he can, as, soon as, the, as soon as the darkness clears, he was right close by the tree all along. And it's closer than we think when the darkness finally leaves. Wouldn't it have been easier for the guy to tell him, here, here, hang on to <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. The rod doesn't show up to layman's people. Anyway, great story there. All right, all right. Strange things do happen to dreams. I, I got texted first thing this morning from uh, a client of mine that goes, man, I had this weird dream and stuff like that, and I, I can't remember it now, but I was really angry and stuff was going on. And I'm going, well, dude, put a notepad by your, door, by your bed. As soon as you wake up and you remember, hurry, write it down, because it'll be God five minutes later. And you won't remember it. You just know that there was something there. Okay, so this said, let, let's talk about uh, pain and affliction. I posted this, and it was amazing the reactions I got. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> 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 oh, and then I noticed that somebody had shared my thing, and they also got amazing re- pushback from people. That's false. That's wrong. <laughs> oh, man. I, I just thought it was a, I thought it was kind of a, it hit the nail on the head. It's easy to love Jesus. It's harder to love the Judases in our life. Well, why do we have God's answer under there? Did, did you make this up? Or did something yes, I just copy that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. God's God's armor. It, it, it's whoever puts these things out. Yeah. I think that the problem here is that <laughs> there's a broad interpretation of what that means of loving Judas and what lo- and what love might look like, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think that that. Um, that's part of the reason I think we have a lot of times a lot of big political conflicts, a lot of big kind of like, um, you know, a lot of ambiguity around like what's moral and immoral. Yeah. In in our twenty twenty three context. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Difficult to know what it, what is what is moral. What is what does loving Judas really mean? Because it means very different things to different people. Yeah. If if. If if love means I'm going to accept everything that that you do and endorse everything that you do, well then that's a stretch. And that love might mean having to put some. And that's actually, thank you for that. That's going to lead us right into where we're going. Uh, I'll pay you later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> Kevin said we should love Judas. That's all. That's what we're doing. Loving somebody doesn't mean you approve of everything you do or that you support. 
afford everything. I know. Our families are whatever. And so the word love gets thrown around. You know, I love that, all that sort of thing. My, my, my gainsayers on, on social media push back much farther than that. God hated Judas and he hated Cain and we should hate. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Uh, I know. I know. Okay, so that said, part of it is how we look at people. So, so I, I was experimenting around and uh, I thought I'd give you the first draft on uh, a sacred meeting talk that I'm working on. Uh, let me get your opinion on this. Can't you see? People are basically untrustworthy. Look, God gives prosperity to those who act like they trust him. The problem is when things are now easy and they get rich, they immediately start to ignore him. So he's forced. God is forced to constantly threaten them to the point of actually having to kill some and starve the rest. Otherwise, they won't remember him. See, that's how bad people really are. They're so anxious to do bad things and drag their feet to do anything good, at the same time boasting how great they are. The truth is that people are really nothing less than the dirt they walk on. At least the dirt knows how to obey. <laughs> and you got all that from the scriptures. I can see the... You, well, you, might, you might be seeing that, but yeah. Um, if, 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 I, if I roll this out in sacrament meeting, how well does that go? You're in a single board now? Or? Uh huh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's gonna go well, isn't it? It will be memorable. It would be memorable <laughs> because I'm basically taking a, a stance and I'm saying you can't trust people uh, and they can't handle wealth at all. Uh, so God and God has to come up with affliction and pain to get their attention. Otherwise, they won't remember him because the goal is always remembering him. So and the only way to do that is to afflict them. The goal isn't to force people to remember him. Seems to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. So... And, and some of you might be recognizing where I'm going with this. Okay? So you got that in mind? Mormons, commentary, Helaman 13. And thus we see how false, how unsteady are the hearts of the children of men. We can see that the Lord in his great infinite goodness does bless and prosper those who put their trust in him. And thus we see that except God doth chasten his people with many afflictions, except he doth visit them with death and terror and famine and all manner of pestilence, they won't remember him. Oh, how foolish, how vain, how evil, devilish, how quick to do iniquity, how slow to do good are the children of men, how quick to hearken to the words of the evil one and set their hearts on the vain thing. Yea, how quick to be lifted up in pride, how quick to boast and do all manner of that which is iniquity. That just sounds like a dad. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about his teenage. It could be. Okay, now, I, I, could, I could quote this in sacrament meeting. And isn't it, isn't it basically this? Yes. Okay, now, 
let, let, let me ask you then, because people are basically untrustworthy and that's how bad people are and they're less than the dust of the earth. Um, why are we now this is coming from Mormon right before, right after Nephi and the and uh, some miracles that he performs, and then right before Samuel the Lamanite, as we're leading right into third Nephi. Okay. What's your reaction to that? Do we do we believe that? Do you think that's that's coming from where Mormon was at that moment? Well, it sounds a lot like Brigham Young. There were times that Brigham Young went that harsh. Yeah. I was just reading through this, going through the book of Mormon the other day, and I thought, you have a lot more compassion because he was like, if you don't do this, you're going to be gone forever. And I was like, well, I don't know if we still go with that. Why is it in the Book of Mormon, and why do we, why do we follow that? That was a question I had as I was going through. Ah. So you th- you're saying that we might see things differently now maybe than the way that Mormon was seeing things, particularly at that moment. Well, uh, for Alma, you know, like, and Alma. <laughs> yeah. Do it or die. Yeah. I was thinking this reminds me of the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> the obedience 80s? Right. That's what I'm saying. This was the way it was obedient. Oh, it was. And so there's a time and a place. A season. Okay. And there may be another season that this is what's going to happen that we're going to need this again. Right. Yes, maybe. I mean, we're in a season to me now of love and compassion. Right. But who knows the future may need to be this obedience. It's an interesting thought. people have strayed too far. Do Do you think there's a point when the only way that people will remember is with death and terror? Yes, lady in the back. I think that uh, Mormon feelings, um, they, they were his impression and his feelings. That doesn't mean that nowadays we don't have those feelings and those impressions. And that we shouldn't reflect like, oh, he looks pretty bad. So, <laughs> so, so God needs to afflict him and make him repent? Yeah. Or maybe starve him so he'll come around? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I love words and I love language. Uh huh. But <laughs> there are some really strong words in there. Uh huh. And we've talked before about perspective. Right. You know, and so uh, maybe I'm just naive. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's why it's really important that we read the scriptures with the Spirit to understand because you. You parse any of those words and you know, but that's not what he meant. That's not what, I don't I don't think that's what he meant or what he was trying to convey. Okay, now now let me so, so here here's part of what I would suggest is the problem here. We rail uh, we rail we rail. Sometimes we are less than kind about evangelicals and their view of sola scriptura. Sola scriptura meaning what? Everything's in the Bible. Everything's in the Bible. You can't take anything out of the Bible. And if the Bible, the Bible is, and, and sometimes it's not called the Bible, sometimes it's just the Word. The Word of God said in John 1, 
because this is the word. So you don't change God's words, which means, uh, and, and this really came to light kind of in the early 1900s and kind of kept growing forward, a very literal interpretation of the Bible and everything in the Bible is true. So, so how long did it take to create the earth? Seven days. Absolutely. Because the Bible says so. Sola Scriptura. And there's no other interpretation that matches that, right? Now, as Latter-day Saints, do we do Sola Scriptura with the Book of Mormon? We shouldn't. We shouldn't, but we do, right? It's in the... It's in, in, in Helaman 12, it says that sometimes God needs to uh, visit people with death and terror and famine and pestilence, otherwise they won't... And we go... It's in the Book of Mormon, so I'm going to quote it to prove my point. It doesn't say God needs to do that. It says if God doesn't do that, they don't remember. Yeah. It doesn't say God has to do that. But then we get Third Nephi where he exactly does that. And Zarahemla goes away, you know, and, you know. But then we get 200 years of people being good, too. Yeah. Without this stuff. But where is Mormon writing? Where he's living. Uh, yeah. Okay. So if we're gonna if we're gonna kind of step back a little bit from sola scriptura, why is Mormon writing this? What is Mormon's experience? That war. That. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we edit from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> phrase on those, those first two verses is that, and thus we can behold, and, and thus we see. So yeah. if you look at what happened before this commentary, yeah. you'll see he's talking about something and then he makes it general. Just like was mentioned the 200 years of everybody being good. And it says in the Book of Mormon, everybody yeah. was good for 200 years. Yeah, well, yeah. Everybody wasn't good all the time. No, no. But, but that's what it said. Okay, but if we're taking Mormon, who was, who by the way, what was Mormon's, when Mormon was called to be the prophet and the ultimate uh, autobiographer of all of this, what was one of his spiritual gifts? He was a sober child and what? Quick to observe. <laughs> Sober child, quick to observe. And thus we see, the observer is saying, and thus I see, in 385 AD, what does he see? What's been his experience all of his life? War. War. Pestilence. 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 Yeah. Well, and as we learned last week, <laughs> Uh, with I think it was a Helaman that said, "Oh, I wish it, I wish I was back in the day yeah. with Lehi when things were so yeah bad. yeah." You know, uh, it's his pers- his perspective. Yeah. And, and the other thing uh, uh, this teaches me is uh, your version of this same thing. Uh, no matter what the message is, it's how it is presented to the hearer. Uh, and as sacrament meeting participants, yeah, uh, we have to listen for the message and not the delivery of the message. Yeah, and we're also hearing the perspective of somebody who is speaking from their experience. Okay, so because we're laughing about sometimes we laugh about the obedience eighties. Okay, now what I, my experience growing up was 
One of the things that we got a lot in the 60s and 70s and early 80s was big time emergency preparedness and, and all those things coming from uh, David O. McKay and Joseph Fielding Smith and uh, Ezra Taft Benson. Guys, when did these guys grow up? They are depression babies. No, you know, they, they grew up in the depression era and and particularly, when we were laughing about this last time, the other thing that I remember in the 60s is that when the nuclear blast goes off, what do we do? We get under our desk. <laughs> and so that was the life and the world under which we lived. And so when these prophets are preaching, because we're just not hearing so much about make sure you have your food storage. It's there, but it, if you go back and listen to talks in the 70s and 80s, that led about every third talk. It's about to all go to heck tomorrow, and you're going to need this right away, and they're coming from their perspective. So how do you balance follow the prophet versus oh. their perspective? And my answer to that is we are blessed for the principle of obedience. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we're having to obey, though we, do, we might see where it's coming from. Right. Right? Got it? Yeah. So... I think it's Henry B. Eyring, but I'm, I'm not sure. He was talking about when he was a kid, and he was in sacrament meeting, and his dad, no matter how bad and off the wall the talk was, his dad always looked like he was paying attention, and he was just glowing and learning and growing from it. And he asked his dad, how can you do that? <laughs> Did you hear the same talk I heard? And his dad, his dad basically told him, when they start talking, I try to figure out what they're talking about. And then I try to learn from the Holy Spirit what I should learn about that subject. And so he just uses the talk, even if it's false doctrine. Yeah. He just uses the talk as a catalyst to allow the Holy Spirit to teach him. Yeah. I heard, uh, I heard in, a, in a priesthood training once, uh, Sterling Sill, who spoke forever as part of the head of the Tabernacle Choir, he, he talked about he'd never been to a boring sacrament meeting because <laughs> he was always writing his own talks <laughs> based on what they were hearing. Um, I, I think there's another commentary, though. There's another reason. Yeah. Actually, what this makes me think about is something that I have heard all my life and possibly even done myself, and I'm betting that most of you have also had the same experience, is that you may hear people say, God had to do this yeah. because he knew I would do this. Yeah, yes. And so you're trying to put the, you know. That's right. God knew I needed to lose my job because I was going to have so, so, so God actually caused them to fire me. I, yeah, I, I don't know. But I mean, <laughs> I, I've heard that so many times and, and in as much as all the times I've yeah. heard it, I'm betting that I have probably done it myself. Yeah. I don't remember yeah. doing it, but <laughs> but then my God affliction has a noble has Yeah. Right. Because he knows that his people will know. Yeah, and I'll put I'll then put my interpretation on it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Brett? Well, I was going to say, you, know, you, you look at the commentary here, and I think the important thing is that it causes us to ask questions. And should. And it should. And you only put a few verses there. Yep. The whole context of what was going on in Mormon's life when he said it, that gives the Spirit a chance to work with us and help us to understand what that means, why it was put there, and how it helps us. Okay, so let me give you a little bit more of his perspective. I think that's, that's a great point. Because he's now going to continue. If I want to know where Mormon is really coming from, because this sounds pretty harsh. That's harsh. <laughs> that's harsher. Here's where he was coming from. May God grant, this is at the end of the chapter. May God grant in his great fullness that men might be brought unto repentance and good works that they might be restored grace for grace. And I would that all men should be saved. Cool. But we read in the great and last day there are some that shall be cast out, shall be cast out from the presence of the Lord and shall be consigned to a state of endless misery, fulfilling the words which say, and he's going to quote, they that have done good, shall, this is actually uh, King, King Benjamin, have done good everlasting life they have done evil shall have ever everlasting dominion and thus it is okay so when he's watching people do bad things what perspective is he coming from the what he's very protestant he's very oh yeah in what way and there is that moment and at that moment you're going to go here or here, and it will be everlasting, or as it says in DNC 19, endless damnation. Now, if he really believes, and he did, I, I think, if he really believed that that moment would come, that people would end up in damnation, and as, as uh, uh, King Benjamin said, and mercy will have no claim on them no more forever, then... And then, like Hugh Nibley said, the Book of Mormon was written by a lot of worried old men. <laughs> Meaning that if I don't get these people to repent right now, they don't realize they're going to endless damnation and they're going to be in flames for eternity. Well, that's kind of a freaky thought. If you, if you had a child that was getting ready to run out into a busy highway... And the only way that you could stop them was to tackle them driving their face into the concrete. <laughs> Normally you wouldn't do that, but if you thought they're about to suffer this unimaginable painful thing, you might do that. But does that not deny the nature of God? If this was... Boy, is that a good question. Well, it, uh, God is a... A, a loving God and, and a loving and a loving parent. Yes, yes. Everlasting, as we learn in the Doctrine and Covenants, meaning is God's punishment. Yep. And not not endless. Not endless. Everlasting. Right, but he didn't know that. So, a part of what we're trying to look at with Mormon was what was his understanding and level of understanding. If it's heaven or hell with no end then you can see why he's freaking out. And he, and he might even be, then be justifying, maybe a drought and killing off a lot of people might save some from this endless, like the flood or Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, and we know already covered most of it, but everlasting damnation is God's damnation. I think damnation could probably paraphrase as judgment. Yeah. And 
everybody's going to be judged by the Lord. Sure. And we know that judgment will be related to what we've done. Yes. But, but if we also take a look at it, and we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, aren't we supposed to judge? We're supposed to be judging other people constantly. Righteous judgment, meaning what? Uh, exactly. I'm not supposed to be judging based on what you deserve. I'm, I, I'm supposed to be judging you based on what you need. And if, if judgment is that moment when God says, you need another eternity of learning this principle. <laughs> I'm going to prove you. I'm going to grow you. You're struggling in this area. I'm going to assign you a mentor, my son, to work with you on this area while you become more like me. I think that's what a parent would do. If you've got a kid struggling with math, you're going to find a math tutor. Well, if you've got somebody struggling with a certain commandment, I think you're going to get a mentor. Not going to can't force them into heaven, but if they learn and have the knowledge, they, they'll use their agency to make a better choice, I think. Yeah? So, the, the paradox I see on 26 is <clears throat> all that have, they that have done good shall have everlasting life. So, everybody in this room has done good. So, yeah. everybody in this room is now, therefore, going to get everlasting life. And they that have done evil shall have everlasting damnation. Oh, wait. Everybody in this room might have done something evil. They might have. On both places? Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Uh, and not only that, if we're going to say, and it's damn, what is damnation anyway? What's a damn do? Stop, stop. stop stuff, right? It's, it's, just, it's just stopping the progress. And so, but if we're going to live under the law of eternal progression, then there's a point where the dam breaks and we now go back to growing and, and, and moving forward. Does that make sense? Okay. He didn't understand that. What had not yet been, what had not yet landed on the earth at this point? This is 385. A.D. The Savior hasn't, well, in his life, the Savior has come. But what else hasn't come? The re rest restoring what? The restoration and the fullness of that is in the temple. It's the, it's, it's the temple work. There's no, there's no baptism for the dead going on here. If, if it was, whatever Paul was understanding in, in 50 AD is not, doesn't appear to be present anywhere in the Book of Mormon. There's nothing about, that. everything about the Book of Mormon says that these guys had a limited understanding of heaven and hell, period. So if you're going to be freaking out about people not repenting, you're going to be like Amulek saying, today is the day to repent because then there's a tomorrow where there's no repentance. And, and we know that that's not true. We go to the temple every day and prove that wrong. Yeah. Well, I just going to say, look, look at that everlasting life, everlasting damnation. The only difference is life and damnation. And your story about the missionary getting the revelation of the temple. Yeah. Maybe we're a little that way. If we get the answer we like, we don't ask the questions that we ought to be asked. We don't study it to do it. Do we really understand life better than we understand damnation? <laughs> We know it's going to be good. Right. Really uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So, so I guess part of part of what I'm I'm pleading for here, guys, is that I think if we read if we read the Book of Mormon more closely, 
we are less likely to do sola scriptura and say it's in the Book of Mormon, therefore it means this, rather than saying, I need to recognize that Mormon did say that. But what was his understanding? What was his experience in life? Let, let me give you another one uh, similar to that. Um, from Liberty Jail. This is, this is uh, March 30, March 28th, I think, of 1839. Um, we have learned by sad experience that it's the nature and disposition of almost all men. As soon as they get little authority, as they suppose, they immediately begin to exercise unrighteous dominion. Hence, many are called and few are chosen. Okay, now, what's Joseph Smith's context in this? <laughs> What's he been sit in March of 1839? What has he been listening to for four months? Jailers. The jailers bragging about their exploits, and and the the church is scattered across Missouri and partly into Illinois. Well, and some of his closest friends, like Oliver Cowdery, left. Oliver Cowdery, W.W. Uh, Phelps signed the extermination order. Yeah. Didn't he recently um, propose things to the president as well? And he denied him? Not yet. Not yet. So Not he yet. Not yet. No, he'll, he'll, he'll actually go, most, most people don't know, he goes, from, he goes from Liberty Jail to Illinois, and he's in Washington, D.C., like just a few months later, in the White House, yeah. which, is, which is quite a jump. Um, but... Um, so his nature and disposition of almost all men, he's seen it, things fall apart in Far West. He's seen W.W. W. Phelps and Oliver Cowdery and those guys. Uh, and he's seen how bad things can really go. He feels like he was betrayed at Far West. So at that moment, this kind of a discouraged guy. So at that point, how is he going to see human nature? Well, Except for verse 40, which I'm not sure if the conclusion is correct. The 39 is pretty accurate almost all the time. Yeah. Okay. That it, that it can be the... So, so, how would, so how would we say this one? It is the sad experience that it is the nature of man. natural man. Right? Is it the nature of natural man. Yeah. Uh, and, and the disposition of almost all men who are still kind of leaning into the natural man's side of things. But if the atonement is doing its work, we walk away from this, do we not? But he's really at a dis discouraging moment in his life. Because remember, that this little section starts with, Oh God, where art thou? Where's the pavilion that covereth thy hiding? Where did you go? It's a Job thing. Where'd you go? I tried to do good, and here's right. Here's where I ended up at. Yeah. I really like what C.S. Lewis put in screwtape This one conversation, the junior devil was writing up on screwtape. I got a problem. I need your help. I got one of my clients decided to become a Christian. Not on screwtape writes. I don't worry about it. Just make sure he knows he's the most righteous person in the room. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> Okay, so, so I, I think, though, when we're taking a look at this and we're reading worried people, Mormon, Joseph Smith, I think one of those questions is, then how do you picture pain, especially in your own life, and affliction 
fitting into Heavenly Father's plan for our growth. Um, it makes sense to me because if the Lord, if God is perfect, we bring up this perfect God, right? A uh, perfect parent. Perfect parent. So He sets up a perfect system to teach us the things we need to learn. Part of that system involves agency. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's not free. It's agency. So the whole process. So. I was just, it is interesting because it's not anything that ever crossed my, the scripture, so I wasn't raised that way. It's perspective, it's what you learn, it's what you listen to the Spirit. Right. So if God sets up the system, it's perfect, and crap happens, nobody's doing anything to us. The system is set up to help us learn, and agency is part of that, so we have consequences, which also help us learn. So it has little to do with I don't like you, you must suffer. I did this to you because you must suffer. It's the system, it's a class. It's yeah. school, it's taking your learning uh, addition first before and subtraction before you learn your division and your multiplication. And how much, how, but how many times is kind of pain and affliction just part of living in mortality as opposed to God is causing all these things to happen, right? I see. And even if you do everything right, your car still goes off. Now, personally, when I'm not feeling well, I might be in my bathroom saying, Lord, why do you hate me? <laughs> because that would be your perspective at that moment. That, that's right. I did it right. How come? How fascinating it is that everything we learn on top of this is perspective. Yeah. It's our perspective, how we look back, how we look forward, how we interpret. Yeah. I mean, it's... And how... And, and, and the interesting piece of that is how others that we're coming in contact with their pain and their affliction and how they're seeing it based on their perspective. It's fascinating. I mean, that, that is, that, that, that's why if, if we take this one step farther, um, there is, we talk, we've talked a couple of times in here, and I don't want to overlabor, kind of taking sometimes the, the stages of faith as we're looking through there. We keep talking about that the last, I think the, more, the most kind of mature level that we get to in our own, in our own faith uh, maturity and growth is that we, we build relationships on love and respect. But that also means I've got to agree to a di disagree. And somebody else is coming from their perspective of what they've been going through. They're going to see the world or they're going to see mankind or they're going to see their own experience or they might even see us in a really negative sort of way. See, my parents would say that. Mom would say, well, your dad's wrong. I love him. He's wrong. We have a great tradition. I really think the whole world could use this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we look at agency. Uh, I'm going to call it moral agency. I'll take moral agency. Um, we look at moral agency, and then we look at cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to recognize that with certain physical things, cause and effect is reliable. And with moral things, cause and effect can appear to be uh, random. Because whatever, whatever we want it to be. We, <laughs> By our interpretation. We don't always understand the, the outcome or the result yeah. of what we have done. 
or what we have experienced. And so we can assign it some effect and usually we're going to uh, at least be inadequate in our assessment and oftentimes we're going to just be wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's one of those things that we, we, it's hard. When we're looking at stuff like this, we kind of go, okay, I did something I shouldn't have done. Now, is what happens to me later, was that God's tribulation, lightning bolt, or was that just consequence of, uh, of doing stupid things? How many times is it consequence and not tribulation? If I step off the step wrong, I'm going to fall. Yes. Okay. If I run a stop sign, I might get hit, <laughs> but I might not, you know, and, and if I don't get hit, that doesn't mean running the stop sign wasn't bad. If I commit adultery, I might catch venereal disease or I might, uh, I won't get pregnant, but somebody, <laughs> you know, uh, but they might not. And so you, the, there's no... Sometimes there's consequences. There's no clearly defined, uh, reliable physical outcome to a moral decision. And uh, there, You're right. But what we do, and I guess that's what I'm trying to drive home here, is what there is is our interpretation of what happened. You fell off the step so that you would go to the ER so that you would then preach the gospel to the nurse. God threw you off the step. <laughs> As opposed to one of those consequences of going there is I could take that opportunity no, to share I'm the gospel. <laughs> But God knew that. Uh, yes? Um, I don't know. I think that God can make the most out of any situation. Uh -huh. So like what you're saying about you fell off the step and you go to the ER and you preach the gospel to the nurse. It's not necessarily that God wanted you to fall off the step. But if you were there you are. the gospel, he can make the most out of that. And I also think there's... We're here because we do need to suffer. Whether or not our suffering is a natural consequence of our actions or if it's just something God did to us, I believe we don't go through an ounce of suffering that is not for our own benefit in one U way ultimately. or another. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I would say the thing that comes to my mind is the parable of talents. If, if we relate pain and affliction to talents, do we bury it? Do we hide it? Do we try to ignore yeah. it? Or do we, we do something with it. Yeah. 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 Un unless I'm a narcissist and it's all your fault anyway. <laughs> my, my, I wouldn't have had to do what I had to do. It's, it's, it's the Perry Mason effect. Anybody ever watch Perry Mason back in the day? Yes. We always count eight minutes till the hour. It, it, was all, it was just formula. Eight minutes tell. They would say, I, I actually didn't do it, but she was in the room. And she comes up and, yes, I had to do it. I had to do it. Don't you see? He was going to expose me to the world, and I had to shoot him. Anybody would understand that. You know, it's not my fault. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, well, I, I was thinking about this. So, so part of our... Part of our struggle then, I think, yes. Oh, oh. yeah, I've Thank you. been like reading in this scripture in 2 Corinthians 2, that, I'm just going to put a person because I haven't so I don't know where that, but um, it is that 
if without misery we cannot um, you can't wait This is this is would have been Eve. We would have remained in a stir, in a suit of innocence, without feeling joy, because we wouldn't have known misery, and without the good, we wouldn't have known sin. Yeah, that mortality would bring an imperfectness and problems that we would grow from. So we're going to grow from from these things. I, I just how we frame it sometimes, or that we feel like we can avoid misery just by being obedient. Okay. So let, let me give you an example where that sometimes, and maybe this is just a, a sidebar, and I think I've even used this in class before, but I, I, I tend to like this thing because I think it's one of those areas where I see afflictions and pain and stuff happen. And it's, it's asking ourselves simply this question. Are we kind or are we nice? Okay? Yes. Uh, okay, so l l let me... Here's, here's one way of dividing this out. The difference between kind people and nice people. Kind people are driven by love. We, we tend to be over-focused. We're kind. We're worried about other people. As it turns out, people that are super nice are actually driven by fear. They're afraid of what people will do. Okay? Uh, kind people have a desire to serve others. Nice people are anxious to be liked. Kind people maintain healthy boundaries between them and, and other people. That is, I'm going to be able to say, Here, here's, what I, here's what I own, here's what you need to own. I'm willing to take care of my stuff, you need to take care of your stuff. Uh, it's on my side of the property, I will take care of my stuff. What's on your side of the property, you take care of your stuff. Okay? I'm going to maintain, whether it's a marriage or whether it's, uh, it's being a neighbor, uh, if we're kind, the kindest thing we do is say, here's what I will do and here's what I won't do. Here's what I can do and here's what I can't do. Now, on the other side of this though, uh, nice people tend to be hurt from a lack of boundaries by other people imposing stuff on them because they can't say no. So people are always imposing their stuff so uh, other people are saying, it's not my stuff, it's going to be your stuff, and even my stuff is your stuff. And so you need to do what, everything that you're going to be doing. And this, nice people tend to be hurt and overwhelmed by, by people that are going to kind of take advantage of that. Kind people are kindly firm in the face of pressure. I, pr I appreciate that, but no, that's not something I can do. That's not something I'm willing to do. But thank you. Nice people often regret making pressured choices and then they think about it later and they really wish over and over they hadn't done or said what they ended up doing. I'm going through tribulations because somebody else forced this stuff on me and they, told, and they made me do it. Why? Well, they, did they make you do it? No, they were going to be mad if I didn't do it. Oh, okay. So you chose not to do it or you chose to do it because they were going to be mad and so you did what you did. Yes. So I went through tribulation because of them. No, you went through tribulation because 
Somewhere in here you didn't learn how to be able to say no and, and keep healthy boundaries. Okay? Does this resonating with anybody so far? Okay. Welcome to my office daily. How, how come all the nice people are in red? <laughs> yeah, I thought about that even when I was choosing colors. <laughs> heartburn. It's a heartburn color. I like that. Okay, so kind people gently tell the truth. <laughs> what do nice people do? Oh, they lie like rugs. Oh, nice people who would never, who would pass their Temple Recommend interview with flying colors. Lie every day? No, it didn't bother me <laughs> at all. <laughs> I'm not worried about that. No, you're fine. It's okay. That didn't hurt. <laughs> You know, there's just this painful silence and then they're, they're lying when they're asked. Uh, kind people. Actually, it ends up creating safety because it's a consistency. They, people know what to expect from somebody who's kind. What about nice people? Oh, there's uncertainty. I don't know what they're going to do. I thought they were going to be here, but they're not. They said they would and they didn't show up. Oh, okay. They said they were fine and they seem to still be mad. Yeah, it's strange how that works. So, uh, can you do you, can you uh, can you have your life in different uh, segregate your life so that you're kind in some areas and nice in others? Do you know? It's funny you should say that because here's what a lot of times I will find. It's it's interesting how many people are able to do this professionally. They're at work or, or something like that. Or, but when it comes to their family, they can't. Because it's more complicated than that. Or there are going to be some personalities they can be kind with. Oftentimes because the person's being kind to them. They've got good boundaries. It makes it easier for me to have good boundaries. It's harder when you've got people with really poor boundaries and you're going to have to be the one to say no when you wish they would be the ones to not impose. What, my wife was through my hair. Uh, what about uh, when you're trying to discern whether the, you're, you're trying to give them what they need rather than what they deserve? Oh, 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 let's take that one. I love that. Okay, so if I'm going to base this not necessarily on what people deserve, I'm going to base it on what they need. What do they need? Do they need my kindness or do they need my niceness? Kindness. They need my kindness, which may mean the most loving, kind, thing that you really need is for me to say no. Or that I'm going to have to impose some kind of, you know, for somebody younger, I love you, I care about you, and you're grounded. <laughs> it is the thing that may not look, because sometimes when we're kind, people are going to look at it and think that's not very kind because you said no. Well, sometimes the kindest thing I can do is be able to maintain decent, healthy boundaries. Okay? Does that make sense? Otherwise, we're creating afflictions for ourselves and other people. Yeah. So it, I think we've got to be really careful when we try to give people what they need instead of what they deserve or what they want. Or, because I'm, I'm thinking about Peace Corps. It's still my need based on what I assume, right? I'm thinking about or, the Peace Corps and, and organizations like that. And they go into yes. indigent countries. Yep. And they, they do all these projects and... Um, Sometimes they destroy 
the economy or the the drive yep. Yep. Uh, in the country. So there, and there's there's books out on on how horrible these organizations have the devastating effect that these organizations have on the people that they are serving, and and usually they're not. They're, they're trying. They're giving the people what they think the people need, mm -hmm. and and they they're honorable and they're objective. Yes, they were. But they just are sadly mistaken about what was really needed and what was really needed. Yeah. And now I'm just like, for instance, now there's a lot more of wells going in and things like that, which. I'm hoping is right. <laughs> you know, so that would seem to be more water would be a good thing. But I know I know the church when they have their humanitarian aid, uh, missionaries uh, are called to administer uh, this, and uh, their discernment is key. But the church makes it a point to not give ever people things that they don't ask for. So in addition to so, their, so they're telling us what they need and then, then we then we provide it. In addition to us thinking they need it. That's right. They have That's to right. think they need it. That's right. In in our sense of colonialism sometimes we have assumed everybody needs to have what we have rather than meeting what, what they're asking for. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Being times doesn't always mean you're going to be appreciated for that. Oh, no, no. No, a lot of people will say you're not being kind. Oh, yes, and sometimes you're going to, especially if it's someone you have an emotional attachment to. And yes. You you can't bring your dog with you to Thanksgiving, no. <laughs> Because you would be kind and say no? Uh, no, because I'm allergic to them. Uh. <laughs> and also, I wouldn't want them. And I, and I, you, don't have, you cannot take care of your animals. You need to find a, somebody right. in a situation. That, that's healthy boundaries. That would be healthy boundaries, right? not always going to be appreciated. No, no, no. See, that's why, but that's why a lot of times nice people say, I want, I do need to be appreciated all the time, so I will take the cats. We, I worked with a lady once in a mental health center. She was our pharmacist. And she was an amazing gal, wonderful lady. And, and, but she always came to work with bandages all over her face and arms every day. And, and it took me months before I finally said, What's the deal? How come all this? Go and she says, well, I'm highly allergic to cats. And I said, oh, too bad. She says, and I have about 50 of them. Oh. And how does that happen? She says, well, everybody knows that I will take the cats in. And so people would drop off cats at her house. And she just had, and, and I think 50 is probably... A, a light guess. I think she had more than that because people would just drop them off. And so it, sometimes it was they had scratched her and stuff like that, but sometimes she was just breaking out in all kinds of hives. You know, she was the nicest person I know, but not very kind to herself. 
Uh, oh my gosh. So again, when we're looking, and I just point this out to say sometimes when we're looking at afflictions, and some of our, some of our afflictions are not, they're not coming from God, they're self-inflicted because somewhere in here we've, we've tried to live life as being nice and that means not necessarily being kind of spiritually kind to ourselves. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, let's see, I had one more thing I could throw in here. <coughs> Try to remember what that was. Oh, okay. So how do we how do we approach this then going forward? Maybe we'll put a button on all this. After after Joseph Smith has gone through all of the his um, and we think he wrote sections one twenty one, one twenty two, one twenty three, that long letter from May from March thirty eighth, twenty thirty eight, twenty eighth and 29th uh, of eighteen thirty nine. We think he, we think he wrote it with the other four guys in the room. They did it as a, as a group thing. They wrote this thing. So after he's gone through, men are bad and horrible and, and they do all kinds of things and they get a little powers, they suppose. We do get this beautiful little piece here that I think uh, embodies how we go forward. No power or influence ought, can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood only by persuasion, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, love unfeigned. By kindness and pure knowledge which shall greatly enlarge thy soul without hypocrisy and without guile, reproving betimes with sharpness, quickly, at times, when? When moved upon by the Holy Ghost. And then, showing forth afterwards an increase of love towards them who thou hast approved, reproved, approved, reproved, lest he be esteemed to be his enemy. I think that's the challenge. I, I, I think it really is. Uh, both uh, in terms of the way that we deal with, with other people around us, uh, that it's not our job to be the afflictor. <laughs> it's not our job to be the reprover. Unless the Spirit is gently telling us that we need to say something. And then the question is, how do we do it kindly? And we don't do it in, in a spirit of uh, animosity or affliction. Yeah. I think that word sharpness is quite often misunderstood. Oh, absolutely. And, and personally, I think the word in 41, virtue, I think in my brain, if I use the virtuous priesthood principles, then I should be able to have influence by virtuous priesthood principles. But uh, persuasion, long suffering, yeah, gentleness. Those are, virtue, those are all virtues of the priesthood. They are. So, but that word virtue is because you have, rather than. Uh, That's right. Rather than virtue, but this sharpness thing, people tend to think that sharpness is somehow mean yeah. rather than Well, I think that's clear. true. I think that's true. Yeah, I, I, um, I think sharpness is maybe kind of to the point. If you think about what is sharp, direct it, it, it's direct and clear, which would be kind. Okay? Uh, I'll, 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 maybe I'll finish with this. Because um, I love, when I look at the word virtue, and when he gets to section 128, Right at the end of section 128, he's writing, he's writing in seclusion, and he talks about, uh, then shall the, the virtue of the priesthood 
He says, distill upon you as the, the dews on Mount Carmel. Well, if, if in, in go, when you go to Mount Carmel, it, it's raised up. It's, it's high. It, Mount Carmel can actually be seen kind of from Haifa and from Mediterranean. It's, it sits up here. Okay, It's part of the rain. Uh, what do they call that? The rain. Where the clouds go up and they rain on rain shadow. Whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> but he talks about the dews up there that in, in the morning because it's, it's high up uh, and above the Jezreel Valley. It, it's high up there and so first thing in the morning there's like this dew that descends. Well think about dew descending. Does dew descend? It just is kind of, it, it forms, right? It's this slow moving thing. If you, if you sat on, at, at Mount Carmel near, near the, the church that's up there and you sat all night waiting for the dews to descend you wouldn't see it you just suddenly in the morning there would be dew there and it just happens it, it, it is this slow moving growing thing that is suddenly there and that's how virtue descends it descends in a very slow gradual it's there and that's why I love when you're looking at the virtue and you go uh, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, love unfeigned, um, kindness. All of those things is how we handle our own tribulation and we handle somebody else going through tribulation. Uh, it is. It's our character changing over, over time, which doesn't happen quickly and it has its backwards and forwards and things like that, but it just slowly happens. So. All right, we bounced around a little bit, but I think, I think there's a lot here. Any final comments before we kind of put a button on this? Good stuff. Really good stuff. What's that? Yeah. Well, I'm always, I get to sit on it all, all week long, and I'm always looking at myself as I'm taking a look at this. So, Guys, I'm bearing my testimony that life in mortality, as we know, is full of, it's full of tribulations. But, I, but, but I've, I've done this a couple of times today, but I, but I would challenge you to think this way. When we, when we think about God doing this or God doing that, keep, if we will keep in our mind the idea of, would a parent do this? And, and any time that we start putting parent in there, well, God did this. My parent did this to me. That you, you, you see your own self as a parent or your own parents. And, it's, and I think it changes that in our, in our really imperfect parenting that we have done, we have experience. And then we talk about perfect parents. Would a perfect parent do this? We struggle to do it as, a, as earthly parents. Would parents inflict tribulation? Parents might be kind and only introduce things into our life that maybe are, are for our growth, but do it lovingly, gently, and all of that. And that's the way I think we're supposed to treat people around us. So, uh, bearing my testimony that Lord intends us to grow and have virtue distill upon you over time. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Alan, can we get a closing prayer from you? And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions 
about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.